That's your decision now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Joining the Black Rifle Coffee Club is like setting your coffee delivery to autopilot. As a club member, you get your favorite premium BRCC roast delivered fresh to your door with no shipping fees. Just pick your coffee, select the amount, then set the delivery schedule, and you're done. Easy as that. Join the coffee club today to save big on your favorite roasts. For decades, buying a silencer has been difficult. But in 2005, Silencer Central set out to simplify the suppressor buying process. So whether you're planning your next hunt or putting together a range day, you'll enjoy every shot you take with Silencer Central, straight to your front door. we we'll just kick this off thing like live, man. Heck yeah, let's do it. Thanks for coming in. Yes, sir. How far? So you live in Spanish Fork? Yes, so about 45-minute drive. I got a 2,500-acre lease out in Spanish Fork. Yeah, where is that? Up in the canyon? It's up in that canyon. Okay, so you, gotcha. you go past, I don't even, if you go past Black Rifle Coffee Company that's on the right, mm-hmm. there's like one more gas station before it starts getting remote. Yep. And little you go, Acorn? Yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. go to, you do the little <laughs> winding bin, and then you take a left up a canyon. Diamond Fork Canyon? Yes, that's it. Yeah, so we, yeah. uh, Lots of BLM up there. Yes. So we do, my buddy has private land way up in there, and we do a yearly thing. We call it like the tactical retreat. So we have guys up there for like a multiple day. Oh, awesome. It's sick. It's beautiful up there. That's awesome, man. I, mm-hmm. We have 2,500 acres, and uh, we're doing a mobility experience. And some of my guys went out there today to just recce the, the snow. Yeah. Three foot of snow. Dang. And I'm like, ooh. This might be super epic or might be super catastrophic. Like, so you're still gonna do it? I so the whole <laughs> point is winter mobility. Yes, but three feet is another world. But here's mm-hmm. the catch: is so let's just say it was um, a foot. If you started plowing down on a foot, and you're from Illinois, you you know this. If yep. you start plowing down on a foot, you'll just have a sheet of ice. Mm-hmm. So actually, a couple three feet is not optimal, obviously, but snow. And snowpack is better than getting down to ice. Yeah. And so we need to be able to roll, but they'll be able to roll more on a foot or two. I just don't know what it's going to look like at three foot. Yeah. (laughs) That's going to get kind of sketchy, and I don't know what kind of rigs these people show up with. But um, And also we're camping out there as part Mm -hmm. of the whole deal. It actually might be pretty cool. That will actually be a tough part of it. Not knowing what people are going to bring, so are they capable of that kind of mission? They'll build. The whole point of it is to kind of build resilience around a mobility platform, like a a, a rig. We shoot off rigs. We do survival. We do first aid. We do all the things. Mm-hmm. But um, the environment and conditions will dictate the experience. And it's like if it's optimal, if it's like seventy two degrees the whole time, then people yeah. are checked. They're like whatever. <laughs> but if it sucks, they yep. walk away from it and they're like. Dang, that was epic, you know? Yeah, that's that was true. So awesome. you grew up in uh, Illinois, and then you, you joined the Army um, and went to Ranger Regiment, right? Yes, sir. Walk me through that path. Why, why, why did you join the Army? What was the lead up on that, and why Rangers? Yeah, so I never really had too much inspiration. My grandfather was in the Korean War. Oh, wow. And he was a big inspiration in my life. My grandparents mostly raised me yeah. with my father. Then my father passed away when I was 16. So then I lived with my grandparents from there on out. Yeah. But so he was a big inspiration. But until 17 or 18, I wasn't thinking military. I was thinking college. 
And then I met my recruiter at the YMCA because I was getting all into fitness, right? Being yeah. a young guy. And he never told me he was an army recruiter for the first year I knew this guy. Oh. Dave, Dave Martin. Yeah. Uh, incredible recruiter. You just were <laughs> hanging out and yeah. building rapport like, hey, friendship stuff. Yeah. And yeah. then into the rapport, he says. Yeah, he goes, about a year into it, I'm doing all these intense workouts. He's like, man, you should be a ranger. And I didn't know what that was. So really? That, yeah. <laughs> well, I had seen, you know, I'd yeah, seen, seen the stuff, stuff Black Hawk Down and all yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So he gave me some information. I looked into it and I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Wow. So he set me up with, uh, yeah, Option 40, I believe is what it was. The yeah, type of contract. Four, yep, yep. And I owe a lot to him because he set me up for success from day one. Yeah. Set me up with the contract. And yeah. He wasn't one of those bad recruiters. No, I'm still you. friends with him today. That's awesome, man. So That's it's awesome. funny when I meet guys and they like, oh, my recruiter sucked or my recruiter's fantastic. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, you built rapport with them uh, out the gate. Yes. And, and most rec recruiters don't, without, from my experience working with recruiters, they don't like to plug Ranger Regiment because there's such few slots. Mm -hmm. And so most recruiters, they're just trying to sell the slot for the thing that they need. And so mm -hmm. typically what you need isn't what you want. And so it's the cooks, it's the admins, it's all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. But those few slots that you have reserved, it's like, man, those those go to the few that you think can actually make it. Yeah. And that's good on him. He kind of discovered you that way. Oh yeah. He put he put a lot of faith in me. Throughout my entire life, people put put a lot of faith in me. So yeah. I really appreciate that from everybody. But how was how was your experience um going into the army because you didn't know a lot about it so you you, you maybe didn't have uh, an expectation you mm -hmm. get you get propelled into it absolutely in the heat of heat of war yeah. how was that overall experience for you yes yeah, so propelled into it from day one kind of so i only been on a plane once before yeah so when my recruiter it was time to go you know take me to uh meps and then you bounce out yeah so it takes me to chicago and I, I didn't know how to do like the plane ticket stuff. I'm like, what do I do? So he like walks me through like how to check my bag and everything. <laughs> how old are you at the time? 19. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and I get on the plane and it's like, we're heading to Georgia. So yeah, basic, again, a interesting thing from my experience, my drill instructor was a fantastic guy. Of course, very hard on us, right? Yeah. But same thing, recruiter, drill sergeant, like I don't talk to him today, but I saw him when I was in RASP, when we were like going back and forth at the PX or something. Yeah. Yeah, I talked to him. He's a good man. Oh, that's But anyways, awesome. basic went well. Um, airborne went well, then RASP, and then, yeah, got into battalion and went on deployment right away, which so was a shock. You went straight into Afghanistan right out the gate, right? Yeah, I got to battalion, and I think I was there for about three to four weeks. Yeah. Because everybody was on block leave. Yeah. When I showed up. So. Block leave for the deployment. They're yes. doing their little hey, R&R, &R, then yes. they're going out. Yes. Wow, okay. How was that first trip? It was incredible. I, of course, was a new, the, the newest you could get. Yeah. So it was... Were you E1? Or E3. E2? E3. Okay, because yeah. you had to go through RASP. And yeah. You probably came in as E1 and then worked... So to... my recruiter, again, he hooked me up a lot. He got me up to E3. Oh, nice. And I don't know how he did it. Yeah. But he just did his thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's easy to do. E1, but either way, they didn't treat you like, in, they treated you like E0, right? <laughs> <laughs> Subhuman. Yes, yes. So, you know, shaved head, everything, first deployment. Yeah, That's yeah. how it goes. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But yeah, got over there. Um, every, pretty much every moment that we weren't going on missions, as you know, which was pretty much mostly every night. Yeah. It would be training. 
Yeah. Because they had to get me and other new guys, but specifically me, because I don't hadn't been with the platoon really. Yeah. Up to speed on everything. And that trip, we were with a Delta squadron, which was pretty awesome. Being a 19 year old kid. What's what what um where were you located at? In Kanduz, in northern Afghanistan. In 2010. So that would have been two. 2011. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I was there in 2010. Oh, really? As a as a technical reconnaissance guy for squadron. Oh, very cool. And that little and we fob? stood up that base in Kunduz. Dang. That little fob. Yeah. So that was my first trip. Oh, wow. So I can't. <laughs> I think third bat. Did you rip in with from thir, uh, third bat? I don't remember honestly. Yeah, I don't. So being hard. a brand new guy. Did you guys have MI17 still, or did you guys rip in? Did you, Did you guys have? Uh, uh, 47s and 60s. Like what, we what? had 47s and 60s. Okay, we I ripped in and we had in my 17s. Wow. And then we finally got, I think at the end of the trip we got a 60 Little Bird package. Mm -hmm. But that was a very active base, man. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Being brand new, it was a pretty oh. cool experience for my first trip. Oh my gosh, man! I have <laughs> some of the fondest memories I have in the military from that trip because it was just a, a like one being in that organization and then like bathing with a bottle of water mm -hmm. i was like what the hell is going on like we're because we didn't own <laughs> nobody owned the battle space there everybody was new rangers uh, gorilla mm -hmm. on the battle space but we set up the fob from scratch like we ain't have yeah the germans were on that same kind of yep, hill exactly. hilltop and they're up there drinking beer and eating gummy bears and then as <laughs> soon as we started pushing them out the gate uh the troop commander that i had um derek was super pumped about getting them to be proactive. Mm -hmm. And they started going out. And I remember the first time they pushed them out, they got hit with a freaking IED. Wow. Lost a couple dudes. Um, I think our little bird package had to go and support them. But dude, it was crazy, man. It was mm -hmm. like Kunduz, Maza Sharif, that mm -hmm. area. Man, that was your first trip, huh? Yeah, it was awesome. How many months did you do? Three or four months, four months. Typical. We Typical, all, we'd always yeah. do four month trips. Four, uh, how was it? Uh, did you get in a gunfight that trip? And how was that experience? For uh, you? We got into a few ticks. It was interesting. Throughout all my four trips, I wouldn't say we got into some sort of like crazy movie type scenarios. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we got into some stuff, but never anything where I was... Feeling overwhelmed. Yes. But also, I think that comes with when you're with a group of men that you know are super squared away and you know they have your back, like you have confidence. Exactly. Yeah, I made yeah. that analogy recently. It's like when you... Even though it's a dangerous job, when you're with the right people, mm -hmm. that changes everything. Because you're when you're with the right people, the danger is suppressed because of the confidence and capability of the people that you're serving with. Yep, um, I'd say for sure. Yeah. So you you did that first rotation. You go back, and then what's the path after that? So then, I had to start like I'd never done a training cycle at battalion, you know. Yeah. So then we got into all that whole uh, situation, and that was good. <laughs> yeah a lot of hard long nights that's for sure oh yeah yeah but yeah. so for my role that first trip and then throughout all my trips throughout all my time i was always involved with weapon squad somehow i was a i started off as an ammo bear obviously that first trip because i didn't i didn't know anything hold the ammo yeah. carry the ammo <laughs> and then i got kind of promoted or whatever to i could carry the 240 which was awesome yeah or the 48 whatever we wanted to do yeah but yep then i ended up being the team leader for my squad not my squad my team yep. towards the end of my last trip last two kind of and yeah i was always involved with weapon squad so you got a total of how many trips four uh, that's see that's I what, very lucky that's what's impressive i mean you met my son upstairs mm -hmm. um 
it's weird when you have kids, man. I know, and we talked about family upstairs over some coffee. Um, when you have kids, you want the best for them. Mm -hmm. And I, what I want the for my son is I want him to do what he loves, what his passion is. But I wouldn't push him into being even an SF guy. Mm -hmm. I, I actually would want to push him into being a combat controller because I think they got the best the best gig going. It is a good gig. It's a good gig, <laughs> man. Um, they treat their people well. Um, it's very technically like it's it keeps your brain activated and you're kind of your own sole proprietor mm -hmm. outside of that if my son said hey i want to serve in the army what, what do you recommend i would say go to ranger battalion mm -hmm. and i would say you know guys make careers of it i just interviewed jericho Denman, who i grew up with and soft uh with his brother and me served together as snipers and then uh he served in ranger regiment for 20 plus years mm -hmm. um it's the place to breed men I, mm -hmm. Like it turns boys into capable men and warriors. I can see that. And 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 the perfect balance of that is your stint, like four or five years. You mm -hmm. do that stint, you're prepared for the world, and as long as you go out into the world with the right mindset, you can crush anything that you want, man. I yeah, I think you nailed it when you said mindset mm. because I've known a lot of guys, you know, vets and not vets, guys I was in with, guys I've met after the fact. And I think the mindset is what sets people apart, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of defeatist or whatever you'd want to call it. Yeah. Not defeatist. Well, there's, <laughs> yeah, there, it's true. It's There's a defeatist, what's like a victim mindset mm -hmm. where the focus tends to be like down and in mm -hmm. instead of up and out. Yep. Like I want an up and out moving forward mindset where I'm not focused on toxicity or drama or gossip or all these things that tend to weigh people down in life mm -hmm. uh, you see it in the team rooms you see it in, in battalion where guys just get in their head they get their group around them getting in their head and then it just brings everybody down morale mm -hmm. drops oh yeah all it takes is one all it takes is one dude one bad yeah. apple plants <laughs> the seed and then I, I told this story before i was in a fire base in afghanistan with some guys in third group when i was there and uh and, and this is an exaggeration of how it went down but basically they're like Man, Chuck, like screw Chuck, like, like we should kill Chuck, like, <laughs> like what do you mean kill, like kill Chuck? Like we've been here for three days. Like man, screw that dude, he screwed up. Like Chuck is a teammate. Like we're surrounded by enemy. You want to kill Chuck? Like yeah, let kill Chuck. I'm like, <laughs> and then you get them up out of that situation. They're like, oh, Chuck's a good dude. Mm -hmm. You're like, dude, you, the focus of some people tends to be down and in, and that's not good. Your your career was short. Mm -hmm. You decided at corporal? Were you a corporal or a sergeant? Specialist, yeah. Oh, so you're a specialist. Yeah. What was the deciding factor for you to say, I'm potentially going to stay in and serve for an extended period of time, or I'm going to get out? What was that for you? That's a great question. So uh, I think I was after my third trip, about to go into the fourth, and I incredible leadership throughout my entire time. My first squad leader was a real big hard ass, which I think I needed, right? Yeah getting in battalion at 19 years old and living in the barracks and parties and this or that. So they need to keep a, a thumb on us. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So that's yeah. Just, let's just be real about that. Yeah. <laughs> Most don't. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So incredible leadership, teammates and leadership when I was in. And I think I just made the decision where I didn't see myself doing a career. And I always had a passion for like before I joined the military, fitness and helping people and that kind of stuff. So I kind of just made the decision before that last trip that, yeah, I'll probably just get out after this one term.
Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then what was the path moving forward? Did you have a plan before you got out or did you hit the ground run? Uh, I remember it was probably within six months, you know, you're doing all the ETS stuff when you're getting out. And I applied to the University of Illinois in my mm. home state because I always wanted to go there mm. in Champaign. And they accepted me for the kinesiology program. So I was ready to rock and roll. Yeah. So I got out, did a... <laughs> you'd, you'd crucify me for the vehicle I took on this trip. But I did like <laughs> a three-month road trip across oh. the entire western United States, up into Montana, came out here to Utah. It's the first time I've seen it. Oh, wow. In a Honda Civic. Yeah. I think it was a 94 Honda yeah, Civic. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. Slept in the vehicle or Hell yeah. or whatever. It was a good time. Well, let's talk about that for a second because that's okay. interesting to me. <laughs> Th- that three-month sabbatical, let's just call it a, a reset. Mm-hmm. Why did you do, Why did you decide to do that? Well, I remember in a couple block leaves before and after trips, I took just longer trips in my Forerunner out east to Montana or down south on the uh, Highway 1. Yeah. So I did Highway 1 a few times, go down to Highway 1 to San Diego and come back up through Yosemite and Sequoia National Forest oh my God. and all that. The most beautiful part of the country. Yeah, but that I only had two and a half weeks, right? Yeah. And I had, I got out in May, so then I had the summer until the semester started at school. And I wasn't great with my money when I was in. Yeah. But I had, I had some cash. And, <laughs> <laughs> Living and check then I, check. Sold, I sold some leave days, so I got some more cash. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just like, you know what? I've got time. And when, when else would I have a time to do this, right? Yeah. So I just mapped it out on Google Maps and did it. I, didn't have a, I also didn't have a smartphone or anything. That's probably not the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a flip phone or something? Um, it wasn't flip, but it was yeah, like basic. A, a pay. A Walmart phone. Yeah, yeah. You'd pay for the Prepaid phone, yeah. So to find my route for the next day, I would go to a place with Wi-Fi, <laughs> open up my laptop and oh. figure out the route. Yeah. How are you showering? Um, oh, so I was big into working out, right? Yeah. So I was still trying to go to the gym. Ooh. So whenever I'd go to the gym. So you like, had like a Planet Fitness thing or? No, I hate just to even wherever. throw out the, Don't go to Planet Fitness. That's a, <laughs> I just, you went to the gym, like a 24-hour fitness time. Oh, so you just went and got guest passes. Yeah, I would go wherever I was. Yeah. That was also part of my planning because I wanted to keep up on my fitness and all that. Yeah. So I just go work out in the morning and then do my shower and everything and move on. So another layer beneath that, <laughs> was it transitional for you? Because I often find, like, you know, I, I had the opportunity going to GRS and I had uh, in between active duty, then I did reserves. So I kind of like had the ability mm. to kind of stretch that conversation out. So I went from an active team sergeant to a reserve 19th group team sergeant and then had this contracting role that allowed me to kind of like step down into a transition. I mean, that's a 20-year career, but it, it, mm-hmm. it allowed me mentally and even physically to adapt to a new environment. Was mm. was part of it, like what what were you thinking about those 90 days when you were on the road? Were you thinking about the guys? Were you thinking about the mission? Were you thinking about the things mm. you missed? Where were you trying to, where, where was your headspace at? Um, in terms of transitioning out, I never really had too much of an issue with transitioning mm. out. I don't know why necessarily, but I think it might come down to, if you ask my grandmother, she would tell you it's because I always have an extremely positive outlook on everything. Yeah. So I just roll with the punches or whatever. You're you adaptive. You're yeah. resilient. So yeah. that during that trip, I guess you could say it might have been transitioning to a new phase of life, but it was every single day. So 
really what I was thinking about is, okay, where am I going to go today to get food? <laughs> what hikes am I going to do? What sites am I going to see? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And I think it was internet, like smartphones, the internet wasn't that popular back then. Yeah. But I think it was kind of cool to, like I didn't have my, any kind of like internet devices on purpose. Mm. Just to kind of, you know, you're driving, you get to your hike, you go do your hike. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, here's what I already know. So, like, I'm I'm curious about your upbringing because I want to figure out. Mm. I'm I'm so curious as why some people are super adaptive, optimistic about life, and the way they roll is typically the way they are. Yeah. Like, like you can't. It's hard to identify a person that back in the day was pessimistic, antagonistic, mm. and then all of a sudden they became optimistic. Unless unless it was like a life changing or altering event yeah. like they almost died in an accident they tripped on psilocybin whatever it is um did you grow up an only child so i have a brother he's a bit younger than me but he was from another mother a brother from another mother i had that too i had, <laughs> I had a sister from another oh very mother. Cool. yeah so i guess you could go all the way back um i never knew my mother she was pretty much out of the picture immediately mm. so my father and my grandparents which i told you about earlier they yeah. raised me for same, the most part same with me oh very yeah. cool my grandparents were great people but yes that's where i gained a lot of old i guess oh it's not old but it's traditional values yes yeah for sure and throughout my young adult and adult life i've always liked hanging out with older people same and i think for the same reason just hanging out with them and stuff interesting mm -hmm. um so your, your father passed away at 16. Yes. How did that shape you as a man? It was a weird experience, obviously. Yeah. Um, was it unexpected? It was from my standpoint. He was an incredible man. And I, I think nowadays we're probably pretty similar. But when I was really young, I was shy. And I wanted to be, you know, like the sports guy and good at all that kind of stuff. But whenever I tried, I just sucked at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd always be like kind of an athlete, but not really. <laughs> yeah. So a shy kid and all that kind of stuff. And he was the exact opposite. Extremely outgoing, mm. really professional, squared away, car salesman guy. Yeah. So he could sell you on anything. Yeah. Super successful. But with his personality also came, he had a lot of issues with, um, I didn't know because I was a kid. I didn't know this kind of things. But, you know, like drugs and alcohol and that kind of thing. Mm. So it's funny. If you ask anybody that knew him, they would say Tony was an incredible guy. Mm. But if they knew they were close enough to him and they knew that kind of stuff, it was like they always say that like if he wouldn't have had those issues, he would have had the world in his hands. Ooh. Yeah. But it just kind of kept taking him away, taking him away. And he ended up passing away from um in his sleep from I believe he had hepatitis. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So I was staying at my grandmother's house that night, thankfully. Yeah. Which she only lived. It was it's in my small town, Mendota, Illinois. It's pretty cool because I have I had my father, my grandparents, all my aunts and uncles and cousins. We all live in the same town. Yeah. And you could walk or ride your bike to anybody's house. So. That's awesome, man. Yep. But uh, so it impacted me, obviously. Mm. I still went to school that day. I don't know. I didn't think it processed mentally, you know. Of course, yeah. And I think I just kind of, obviously it hurt, but I just kind of dealt with it. Yeah. I guess you could say adapted to it. Like it is... It is what it is. I don't know. Yeah, you accepted that. But did mm -hmm. you, let me ask you this. Did you mourn at all? Yeah, I did. Not immediately, because I think it was probably some sort of shock of factor. Yeah, of course. But of course I did mourn. But I think more of like over time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah. never in a sad way. 
because all the memories are incredible and really, really good. But I always just kind of think of, like my grandfather also passed away a couple of years ago. And I always just kind of think of what kind of example should I set for them, you know? Yeah. Because if you want to think of a higher power, God or whatever, I do believe in that kind of stuff. Same, yeah. And yeah, I believe in heaven, so I do believe they're watching. And nowadays as an adult, I understand it. So it's just one of those things where how can I make them proud? Yeah. I think it's going pretty well so far. Well, I, I think I think that that perspective of having kind of like a, oh, get that coffee. Yeah, yep, yep, that's what I'm doing. Get that, crush that. We just did a couple shots of espresso in that Black Rifle coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the introspect, the ability to, from the outside, there's a book, there's a good book called The Power of Now, and I recommend mm-hmm. anybody who's into books, if you're into reading, read that The Power of Now. But it talks about this third party voice or this third party perspective. Because mm-hmm. you have an unconscious voice in the back of your head that kind of just runs on autopilot. But often that voice directs and, and choreographs your life in a negative way. Hmm. This third party voice, which I would call introspect, is the ability for you to kind of understand what you're doing mm-hmm. subconsciously and then self-correct because of the perspective like you you lended about like hey my grandparents I want to make them proud mm-hmm. I think about that too I think you know my grandma shaped me as a man and she was a mm-hmm. great woman and and when my grandma passed away it broke my my dad's heart and she was the center of our family when she died the family almost not self-destructed but it it it, it hurt the family a lot oh I bet but when I think about the decisions I make not only did I think about the past and people who've affected me, like my grandmother looking down on me or whatever that is, I also look forward like, hey, my son, I want to make my my son and my daughter proud, right? Mm-hmm. That is very unique as a character trait in a lot of men nowadays, I would say. Uh, and that's that's a broad assumption, but most of the people that I interact with um, who are close to me are that way. They're built that way. Yeah. And most of the people that I've pushed out of my life and, you know, control alt deleted haven't been that way mm-hmm. because they're not disciplined. They're not uh, value driven. They don't have a character that's constantly, you know, getting an asthma check because they mm-hmm. realize, oh man, I, I screwed up by doing that. They're just running on autopilot. Like yep. they're continuing to screw up. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you when you started to become adaptive, there's a also a, a potential right there of you became very disciplined. So where did that discipline come from? I think well, from fitness. Oh, okay. Yeah. How did you get into fitness? You know, you're trying to look good for the ladies. So it started there. <laughs> Was that it? Oh, in sports yeah. as well. Yeah. But I think for most young guys, you know, I, I mean, I would say you have to compete with other men, right? In yeah. sports, in relationships, whatever, right? In the yeah. military, yeah. you're competing with other men yeah. in a very serious way. But yeah, I think um, for sports and mostly just for, you know, I wanted to gain confidence so I can talk to girls, you're, which did not come right away. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that social hierarchy is interesting too because like people, like when you have an abundance of everything, mm-hmm. I, I talked about this uh, recently on a podcast where we were talking about, um, we were talking about porn. When you have access, when a, when a young man has access to porn, all the things that he sees 
in all of the interactions that he has, chronic, addictive, whatever that is, that chemistry tells him, man, you're crushing it. You are, hmm. you are spreading your seed all over the map. These girls are in love with you. So there is no drive. Yeah. Like, what's the drive for a young man who literally has the world at his disposal on his phone? Mm -hmm. Chemically, because when we grew up, I, when I grew up playing baseball and football and all the sports, it was about social hierarchy. It yep. was like the harder you worked, the fitter you got, the more women you got, and the more popular you got. Yeah, right? the more men and women, but just yeah. the more friends you, you got. You got friends, you, got, yep. you, you were at the top of the food chain, and that's a very uh, primal instinct in men mm -hmm. but if technologically everything is at your disposal and virtually all those things and those that chemistry is the same you just burn your shit out and you really don't have skin in the actual game mm -hmm. you might have the points the bar graph the virtual whatever mm -hmm. but that don't mean anything in real life yeah but most people would say um it doesn't matter. You don't need that because it's about ones and zeros and it's about zeros in your bank account, right? So the mm. in, more intelligent you are, the more that you can adapt to technology, you don't need all of those things. You don't need to be strong and buff and fit and disciplined because <laughs> you could just be the virtual character. You know, you can be the, yeah. the emulator or the freaking avatar. Yeah. Um, Th throughout my life, I've never, until I became like, you know, in the last few years, I'm like, okay, now I'm kind of adulting. I need to get my stuff squared away, get a house, have a savings, all these kind of things. But throughout my entire time in the military, too, I never really once cared about money at all. Yeah. I just cared about experiences. So I guess that's also where those road trip ideas came from. Interesting. Because like, I grew up in Illinois, small town, cornfields and all that, and never really had been out west, that's for sure. Yeah. And then I moved out to JBLM, Fort Lewis, mm. Washington. And I was like, holy cow. A new world, right? Yeah. Then, you know, I think the first time I got on like Google and YouTube was when I was in the military. Yeah. I bought a computer. No, my, I think I bought the computer. Yeah. With basic training money. Yeah. <laughs> that paid for one computer. Yeah. The whole experience. 15 weeks, one computer. Yep. I started, you know, like learning. Oh, okay. Like I live in Washington state now doing all these cool things, meeting people Montana, Idaho, Oregon, mm. California, started mm. going all these places and like, holy cow, there's a lot more out there than just Illinois. So yeah, you were drawn to the West, I see. Oh yeah. And I'm not leaving. Same. <laughs> so I, we, we did this post recently where if you take, it's actually not Mississippi, it's West of the Mississippi. There's a line that runs up through the Dakotas down through the country and divides it. Uh, I think at the base, it goes through Texas. 20% of the population of the country lives west of that line. Yep. 80% of the population lives east of the line. But if you knock out California, then and you just left with that, the least populated areas, which is Montana, Wyoming, this corridor, Utah, mm -hmm. it's the least populated, but it's like the 80-20 rule. I think the population that exists in that band is the most resilient in the country. So when I talk about like be resilient, have an extended fuel capacity and understand your go bag plan and all that stuff, it's like everybody in Montana knows that because yep. you'll die if you if you don't <laughs> if you go out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have a gas station at your disposal. Black Rifle Coffee's ready to drink cans give you the perfect balance of convenience and quality. If you want a Spartan level caffeine kick, try Ready to Drink 300, available in caramel vanilla rich mocha, and more. Made with an electrifying blend of MCT oil and amino acids, 
Ready to drink 300 packs a serious caffeine punch that will supercharge your day. Ready to drink 300 is perfect for people who need their coffee quick. And you can find it at blackriflecoffee.com or a convenience store near you. For decades, buying a silencer has been difficult. But in 2005, Silencer Central set out to simplify the suppressor buying process. So what happens when you buy from Silencer Central? Well, they help you find the right silencer for you. They handle the paperwork so you don't have to. And they give you a free NFA gun trust so you can share your suppressor. Silencer Central allows you to pay while you wait. They make sure your purchase is carefully prepped, packaged, and protected until the moment you're approved. Once approved, they deliver it straight to your door. So whether you're planning your next hunt or putting together a range day, you'll enjoy every shot you take with Silencer Central, straight to your front door. I have, uh-oh, this thing's tripping me up, dude. Yeah, you're good, you're good. <laughs> um, I have a funny story about that. When I got out, I actually, so I had two vehicles because both of them were pieces of trash. Yeah. That was because I didn't care about money. I was like, oh, sure, I'll just buy a car for two grand, drive that around, and that wasn't dependable, so I know another car for like three grand. Yeah. I didn't want to get rid of the old one. So I have like two cars in the barracks parking lot, silly stuff. But anyways, I needed to bring all my stuff back to my grandparents in Illinois. Yeah. Well, I actually to my, no, I didn't move to college yet. So yeah, it was to their house and bring the forerunner back. Then I flew back out to Fort Lewis, Washington to the then Civic. start the road trip. Yeah. In the yeah. Civic. Yep. So Why'd you I'd, weigh the Civic over the forerunner? Was just the forerunner? mileage. And it was a little better. It was a little, that, that <laughs> forerunner. Capable. That Forerunner, I bought it for only a couple grand. I put like two engines in it. That was a mistake. Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, but so I drove from JBLM to Mendota, Illinois. In one straight shot, I took a couple hours of sleep, but I realized that in Montana in the moving truck. Oh, yeah. Where it was nighttime and there's nowhere there's to get gas. 500 miles between gas stations. Yeah, and it's super dark. I'm seeing animals everywhere. Everything's oh, yeah. playing tricks on my eyes. <laughs> It was crazy. I barely made it to a gas station. Uh-huh. Yeah, in the middle of the night. Who knows where I was? I think it was East Billings. Yeah. Which, if you know that area. Oh, I know exactly. There's nothing where out there. Nothing out there. It's mm-hmm. gross up there. Yeah. From from Bozeman East, even Billings. It's mm-hmm. like, you're like, oh my God, what is and, that? Yeah, and then I'm going through North Dakota and I'm like starving. Ooh. Because <laughs> there's nowhere to get any food yeah. anywhere. And I was in. Pierre, that's North Dakota, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. in Pierre thinking, oh, I remember Pierre, the capital. There's yeah. going to be stuff here. No. There's nothing there. No, I went into like a grocery store and got yeah. some grapes and like turkey <laughs> and just whatever. <laughs> it's crazy because um, that whole thing, the allure for most people who migrated, even in Utah on the Mormon Trail or the California Pass and California Trail, they were all moving because of this sense of adventure and they mm-hmm. found it. I mean, mm-hmm. back in the day, which is still the case with 80% of the population being East, all those populated areas, you don't, you didn't build resilience because you got comfortable because mm-hmm. all the people were there, all the food was there, all the options were there. And you go out West, you're like, Ooh, this is kind of exciting, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's, that's part of the trigger in us. That's exciting. It's like, there's, I'm drawn to that. I know a lot of people who aren't, I got to be in the mountains, man. I got to be in the country. I got to be in the mountains and I got to be around good people. And I hate to advertise Utah like this, but it, Utah provides <laughs> all those, right? 
No, Utah sucks. <laughs> Utah. <laughs> you know, New York City is the best place I've ever yep. been. Cheap. It's, it's getting cheap. Cheaper. It's getting cheaper, man. <laughs> Zillow inventory is boosting up. Yeah. Um, Utah's way too expensive. It's way too expensive. It is, man. This this house that we're sitting in is like fifty million dollars, man. Yep. You can't afford that. <laughs> um, I, I noticed something you said about you're not a money guy. All the people who are close to me, Andy Stumpf, even Evan Hafer, who people think like he owns a billion dollar company, which it is. Mm-hmm. Black Rifle Coffee is a billion dollar company, but he lives the most modest living I've ever seen hmm. from a human being. But all of these guys, um, Kevin Owens, um, none of us are driven by money. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed about people is you have two types of people. You have people who they're they are driven and incentivized by revenue, profits, money. It's in their brain, right? Um, and then you have people who, like even in my case, I run a business. So I spend a lot of time with my finance officer and we're talking about money as it pertains to the, to the, the company. But I'm not driven by money. Like if my whole material world burned down, that would suck. But if I have my family and their health mm-hmm. and well-being, that's all that matters. Some people have to have it all. They have to have the Lambos. They have to have like all, all the things. What do you think it is in your past um, that allowed you to grow up, I, I would say probably uh, moderately, like maybe middle of the road or even below the middle of the road, mm-hmm. and then get into potential money or making more money and it still didn't drive you? What do you think that factor is? Probably my grandfather's influence on me. Because he was, he, you know, Korean War and all that as a young man. And then he started working for what was GTE, what's now called Verizon. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he started working for the local phone company in our small town. It was really cool, like the little GTE office. and like had all the actual landlines, so he'd take me in there with him. Oh, wow. They were like plugging and playing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But he was very like that as well, very modest living. And he did a really good job. He worked for them his entire life and then retired and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But he was never one to boast about money mm. or overspend, right? Completely against debt. Yeah. So, like, no, I didn't have a credit card until probably like five years ago. Yeah. Because I was like, how oh, grandpa told me. Exactly. Don't get in debt. That's true, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think his influence on me really brought that. So, what do you think? How do you think that shaped you? To now, because now you're post military as an experience. You have your, you really have the whole world in front of you, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're thinking about starting a family, and now oh, we're gonna, we're gonna start. A family. You're gonna start a family. <laughs> so what's your, what's your status now? What, what, what's the, what are you doing right now? And then what's the mm-hmm. prospect for the future? Um, well, right now I'm living in Spanish Fork with my fiance and love it there. Yeah, fantastic. It's great. Community. We when we moved Cowboy here, Town. Yeah, that's yeah. what we'll call it. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a cowboy town. Yeah, the rodeo, there. Fiesta Day's rodeo. Have so you been awesome. there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. So we moved to Springville originally, which is a little bit north, closer to Provo. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And we had an apartment, and then for some reason, like Spanish Fork, just I th- almost think it's partly the name, just a cool name for a town, right? It is a cool name, and it's right there at the edge of the canyon. Yeah. So you got the canyon. You can go south. You can go north. Yeah. And then where we used to do classes, which we'll get into probably is on West Mountain. Yeah. If you live down there, you know what I'm talking about. But it was like a central hub of everything that I was doing. Mm. So we moved to Springville. We lived there. And I was like, we got to move to Spanish Fork. Mm. So um, 
Where was I going with that? What'd you ask me? Well, Sorry. Well, uh, <laughs> where, where are you at right now? Yes. And then what's the prospect for the future? What are you doing? Yeah. So now living in Spanish Fork and own that company I told you about, Tactical Cowboy. Yeah. And yeah, we train people in like firearms, self-defense, medical. If you want to get into some high-speed night vision stuff, we do all that kind of thing. Really cool. And yeah, doing that and having a good time doing it. We really emphasize, we call it like the Tactical Cowboy family, right? Yeah. We always say at the end of a private class or an open enrollment thing that this is more than a transaction. I guess it kind of works into what you're saying about not about money. Yes. So we always say like, you know, you're part of the family now. We want you to, of course, come back to our events or something like that. But stay in contact with us. How's it going? Are you getting better? Are you practicing? Do you need any tips or tricks, this or that? For instance, we just did a uh, private precision rifle day on West Mountain for a guy yesterday five hours out there super fun time and today we're talking about like hey he's like hey what kestrel should i get and mm. blah 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 this or that so that's that's what i'm doing now so time. let me ask you what what has your experience been so far because i see you on social and i know a lot of uh, not millennial but generational businesses that are going into the tactical space are doing a lot of content a lot of stuff on social how has that been for you? Because you seem like you, you're not a social media guy. It was it was weird at first. I was reluctant yeah. to do anything about that. Just, you know, as you kind of know, coming from the veteran community as well. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, quiet professional, which yeah. obviously I totally think is important. Of course, yeah. But then it becomes a point where, okay, if you're actually trying to advertise yourself, you gotta how else your... are you going to advertise yourself? Yes, yeah. So it was really weird at first. But I think once we started going, getting traction, understanding it doesn't have to be so flashy. Yeah. So what we we try to do in that social media aspect is we try to get out there and train ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Quality over quantity. So I'd rather have myself and my guys that are on my training team be as good as we can. Mm. And that'll take days out of our schedule where we couldn't do private or open enrollment classes. Yeah. But then we're always getting better. So we just started saying, like, why not? start videoing this stuff mm. and then we'll be shooting or something and we'll give like little tips. We'll talk about it. Oh yeah, I'm doing this. All right, perfect. Let's do a quick little video about it and say, yeah, you know, we're shooting rifle right now and I'm doing this with my trigger finger or something. It's really helping and hope it helps you out. Mm. So yeah, we try to just do as we're training, get video just to kind of show people this is how you can train mm. and show people we're normal, right? We screw up. Yeah. You can't just, you know, I'm not out here putting holes into the paper at 100 over and over and over again. Yeah. Even though on some people's things, you might think they are. Yeah. It's not really the reality. I've we all fail. I've so. showed mistakes that we've made, and people will take that crack capture of that off of YouTube or whatever, and then they'll repopulate it and go, look how much this dude sucks. Really? And I'm, I'm actually dumbfounded by that response because same deal. I think it's important to be real. I mean, if, if I screw up, I demo mm -hmm. everything. If I screw it up, I screwed it up. Yep. I don't turn around and go, yeah, I did that on purpose. Like, hey, hey, guys, I screwed it up. Like, I'm not immune to mistakes. But even on YouTube where things are choreographed, edited, distilled down, if we make a mistake on video, even if it's in front of hundreds of thousands of people, which often mm -hmm. it is, I'll keep the mistake up there. And people are like, look at this dummy. He made a mistake. And I'm like, I, I purposely put that on there. Like, it's not an yeah. accident. <laughs> 
Are you talking about that one where, where I go like oh well, yeah. you draw and then yeah you, oh that was so funny yeah and we've all done it yeah of course <laughs> I laughed so hard at that yeah cause... I had one where my magazine fell out of the gun oh I, yeah it was Safariland ALS and as soon as I uh, pulled it out of the holster it hit an extended magazine release on it so we hit it mm. as soon as I pushed it the magazine went whoop. And I'm that like, stuff happens. Hey man, that stuff happens. Mm. I'm not immune to mistakes. I'm yep. not perfect. And um, I, I, I'm curious to what you think the future in that is for you, because you're also going to. I mean, you, your your school your schooling is in exercise science. Mm -hmm. So where does this evolve for you as a business? Yeah. So I think the background in exercise science and physiology has really helped me understand the human stress response. Yeah. As well as how we can learn most proficiently. Got Does that it. make sense? hundred percent. So even actually read a few books. I wish I remember the name of them. Yeah. A couple of my clients actually sent them to me. They're like, dude, this book's really good behind the neuroscience behind learning. And then there was another book that it's really, I feel like it's called like practical shooting, not the Ben Stoger one. It's, I can't remember. I'll get it to you. I'll yeah. Get it to you. Really yeah. good book and short. But either way, studying the neuroscience about how we can learn most efficiently. Yeah. And then also, we like to involve stress in what we do. Yeah. And I think people don't understand how important the fitness aspect is. Mm. Like, we did a private class the other day, and it was a three-hour uh, intro to carbine for this guy. Mm. Fantastic guy, but two hours in, he was starting to get really tired from presenting the rifle over and over and Fatigue over. Fatigue from again. driving a gun. Exactly. So that it was starting to throw us off and we weren't hitting where we wanted. But I think it was kind of a good reminder, right? Yeah. Because the fatigue he felt in that situation is going to be way less than fatigue he feels if something actually happens and he's got to sprint 100 meters. Yeah. And then do the same thing. Yeah. And it's going to be much more difficult. So blending the uh, physical fitness knowledge and the Tactical training, I guess you could say, has been pretty seamless. Mm. But like I was telling you earlier, my lady is about to graduate physical therapy school. Mm. So in the future, we'd like to start our own clinic where it's strength and conditioning, physical therapy. Same thing that we do with the business, with the uh, training, quality over quantity, yeah. small groups, private stuff, whatever. But that's going to kind of lead into that space for my life. Smart, smart. I think keeping it small is key. I mean, I've yes. I've done like a small tactical company, large tactical company, and then shrunk down, and now I'm like, this is the A team, you know, mm -hmm. like the the focus on the A team because, you know, training is a difficult scale. There's not many oh, yeah. examples in space, um, across different spaces that where people scale in a training component, and and it and it works out. Like yep. a good example is Blackwater, right? Blackwater was a, technically a facility. The facility scale, but when they try to scale people, that didn't scale well because people have different incentive factors. Mm -hmm. They drive different styles and you don't build consistency as an institution. So if you said, my business plan is to scale 100 different courses from one course to 100 courses uh, per month. And you took that hundred and it required a hundred different instructors, just mm -hmm. hypothetically speaking, then you potentially could have a hundred and different techniques taught mm -hmm. to people with not the same incentive factors. So it could be the tactical instructor developing his own persona. It could be the tactical instructor who wants to make more money, whatever mm -hmm. that is. Uh, it could be the guy who believes in the institution wants to grow that really well. When you look at it in scale, you increase not only the chances of you hurting the institution, mm -hmm. you also increase the chances of 
you having more liability because with more people, with more decentralized approaches, you potentially are going to have somebody hurt on a a range if you're not the person who's on top of it controlling it because it's hard to get a person who's a subcontracted instructor to think like an owner or to be compassionate, passionate, disciplined, and then think about the business always as mm-hmm. an owner, right? But you always think that way. Yep. Yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride. We have a really, really incredible team of guys. And I think the reason why they they're very devoted to the business. Yeah. I think most couple of the reasons are, you know, we try to treat them really well. Yeah. Obviously in compensation. Because of course, at the end of the day, that would be nice for them. But also professional development for them. So you remember Nick? Yeah, yeah, I sent yeah. him to your pistol course. Oh yes, yes. How did yeah, that? Yeah. How did it? What is his feedback? Oh, he loved it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, he loved it. Yeah, what he do you think great. about him? He's a great student, right? Yeah, he's a great yeah. student. He he listened. He was super positive. Oh yeah. Um, and I, so when I when I teach my classes, there's a lot of tactical instructors who teach the practical application of what the technique is. What I mean is they'll say here's the shooting drill. I try to, I try to train a course where I'm training the trainer. So I'm giving context. Like I I never say you're a subordinate and I'm training down to you. Mm -hmm. I say you're a peer and I'm training up to you. I'm trying to give you the context, the why demonstrate, and then give you the practical application. So it requires more narration around the course of instruction. So you feel like Man, I could take this, the tools that he gave me, and I can go out and teach somebody, like my family, my institution, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And when I heard that he was one of your guys, um, that excites me. Because I want, look, I want to take training from experts in their field. I did it Mm -hmm. my whole career. You guys, even in Ranger Time, you bring out experts to come out and present. When I grew up in special operations, all the people that we presented weren't necessarily the experts at what we did. They were the experts in their field. So when Robbie Latham came out to teach, he's teaching us how to practically shoot and we're taking the things that mattered to us. Mm-hmm. So when I have guys in my classes, I don't care if the guy on the left side of the range is focused on training himself, the guy in the middle is training his family, and the guy on the right is training his institution, LEO, your tactical company. I just want to put out good information and work together mm-hmm. and collaborate with good teams. Yes. Um, Cause I, I, like you've seen um, the tactical space because I, I think there's a couple of variables, one egos, two incentive factors, uh, three scarcity. I think a lot of people coming out of our backgrounds think that um, they have to compete against everybody on the same plane to get that market. Mm-hmm. When people see it and they go, dude, I want options. It's not like a normal market where you go, um, this is the best uh, coffee ready to drink. I'm going to buy this. Mm-hmm. In, in tactical training, you want to get as many experiences and options as you can because you want those experiences to hone and dial in your skill sets. Mm-hmm. And that's how special operators operated. Like we brought in surreptitious entry guys who are lock pickers because we mm-hmm. wanted to be the best at lock picking. But we also brought in... Todd Hodnitz to teach us how to snipe the best because he's the best, one of the best snipers, uh, instructors. So I, I want to collaborate more with good people while this echo chamber of people who think the world is falling apart and there's scarcity in the market and they're feast and famine. Like I want, I want to get away from that and just move forward with good people. And I noticed that about your guys. 
mm-hmm. is they're super optimistic about the future. They're positive people, mm-hmm. and they all want their same thing. You know, they want to do better in the world. Yep, I think you. I think Nick really enjoyed your class because how you said you treat everybody as peers. Yeah, we did the exact same thing. Yeah, so we don't refer to ourselves on the website or in person as instructors. Mm. We call ourselves mentors. That's awesome. Yeah, because we like it's like we said, it's more than a transaction. So you're part of the family. Yeah, and we want to mentor people throughout. And of course, they can go get other training or whatever. We promote that. Yeah. But we want to mentor them throughout their entire journey instead of, thanks for coming to the class, come to the next one, you know? Yeah. So he said it was actually really similar to kind of how we do things. That's good to hear. Yeah. And I knew talking to you and seeing your stuff outside of the technical skill sets you teach, because it's generally the same. Oh, yeah. Um, The more important aspect is the person. Mm-hmm. Like I, I knew based on who you you know I, I call i made some calls on you but i knew based oh, cool. <laughs> ba- i knew based on who you were as a person that it was going to be that way mm-hmm. um which which is good it, it, and rare hmm. uh, which is kind of scary which is kind of sad yes um i had a conversation with greg anderson yesterday and i'm starting a, a jiu-jitsu program and you know half the people think that's an amazing thing because we need it and half the people think Oh my God, the world's falling apart because Mike's starting a jujitsu program. <laughs> um, but but when I worked with Greg Anderson on developing a jujitsu program more more dialed into um, families, because I want husband, wives, and children, family units to come train with us together, which is part of our family preparedness stuff. Um, that collaboration is because he's the subject matter expert. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done jujitsu my whole life as you would in that career field that we came from, but I'm not the expert. He's dialed as the expert. So I want to collaborate with dudes like that who get it. We partner his market merges with our market mm-hmm. and our clients benefit from it. Right. Because you know, one is none. Right. Yeah. And w- when I think about your company as well, um, and maybe this is an offering, it, it, we, we talk offline about it as you evolve and develop because we're, hometown um fellows that live in the same area because we're going to move down to in the draper area um we're starting a fitness program oh so cool and and maybe i'll hit you up and look i don't know besides what i grew up in jim jones crossfit um strength and conditioning um i think a new i think the base for preparedness is fitness like you said yes people want to hit a gun get the kit we do five minutes of calisthenics in our stress shoots with civilians and people fall apart. Oh yeah. They start screaming and I'm like, what? Like, what do you got? Like, nobody's coming to save you. Why are you screaming? Nobody cares that you're screaming. Mm-hmm. You're three minutes into five minutes of calisthenics of pushing and pu- pulling your own body weight, but you got $2,500 worth of kit mm-hmm. on your person. <laughs> oh, and, it, and to do air squats and calisthenics, it's free. You don't need yep. a penny. You could be butt naked doing it in your room. Um, that's the baseline. If you were going to start a strength and conditioning program, maybe even your own, what's the start point for people who are listening to this? I think the start point would be don't do too much at once, mm-hmm. you know? So some really good advice I was given way back in the day before doing all the certifications and the degree and all that was... So you have a bachelor's degree in this? Bachelor's degree in physiology and then a certified strength and conditioning specialist certification. A lot awesome. of C's in that. That's awesome. That's, that's cool, though. <laughs> yep. But, um, yeah, so I think a really good place to start is because a lot of people do it for weight loss. Right? Yeah. 
or they're heavier set and they're trying to get fitness goals and lose weight at the same time. Yeah. So they might do, they might start, they're doing one day a week of exercise or something, maybe yeah. two days a week. They might start on a five day a week program mm. fitness wise. That's going to kick their ass. Yeah. And then they're also cutting back on their diet. Mm. So they're changing everything at once. So their body is going completely out of whack. Mm. So they'd maybe decrease their calories or maybe they're used to a lot of sugar intake, which of course isn't good. But if you take all that away and then you start the fitness program, well, now you're requiring your body to provide fuel and your body is like, yeah, let me get this fuel that we've been giving me for months and months and yeah. months. And it's got nothing. It's going to crush you. And then it's going to be, of course you could push through. But if you're trying to do it optimally, it's going to be harder to keep going in the long run. Mm. So a lot of advice I'd give people is you do the fitness part and of course, don't eat cake or something, right? But maybe don't go too drastic of a change on your diet. Mm. And then, okay, you do the fitness part for two to three months. That's going really well. Maybe take a small change to your diet or you could do it the opposite because mm. I'm sure you've noticed just eating clean Changes can change everything. everything. You'll get more fit. You'll be yep. lighter. You'll sleep better. All these kind of things. So. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. smart, man. Scale it up. A lot of people will just get, they want to do everything at once because they think instant gratification. I can make this change yes. know, overnight. And then the higher probability, right, of of reverting back to old habits mm -hmm. if they see, like, hit a wall and they're like, I'm going to start it yep. all over. What are the programs that you offer? Like, what, what's your website? And what are the programs that you offer? Um, so for the website, it's pretty much all tactical training and private and group courses and stuff like that. I have helped people recently, but it's just been on one-offs here or there. Mm. But so for a program, I have some written, but either way, I think it really comes down to the individual, mm. you know? So I would never necessarily suggest all these hundred thousand people do this program because everybody has a different schedule, different needs and quality over quantity, right? That's kind yeah. of our thing. Yeah. So, I kind of have a bunch of programs I have as a base. And then if I was going to start helping somebody, which I just did a few months with a guy. Because you do, uh, is it kind of like life coaching or mentorship? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But right now it's more focused on the tactical stuff. Yeah. But I've helped a couple of guys with the fitness, like I said. But if I was going to help them, I literally would give them this program. And it's like five days a week. And then I'm like, I need you to do three of these days. Mm. Like, I don't need you to go crush yourself. These workouts are like maybe even less than an hour mm. just to get them started, you know? Yeah. That'll boost their confidence. They'll sleep better. Maybe their relationship with their significant other will go better because they have more energy and mm. they're looking more fit. Yeah. Which is a big thing. Realistic right? goal setting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Another thing I always say, because well, I'm like, you don't have to change your diet right away. But one thing I understood or I was told and I understood a long time ago is everything you put into yourself is either going to bring you closer to disease or further away from it. Oh, interesting. And I, I, you know, snack, but I still know. Yeah. Like if I'm going to eat pizza. You're aware. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat pizza, but I know deep down this is a mistake. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I'll and let you myself. might have to work harder on the tail end of that because you're making a mistake maybe. Yeah. Yep. So I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, whatever cheat days, but I think it's important that we emphasize it's not okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we need to know, okay, this is technically, you can call it poison, whatever. Yeah. It's going to bring me closer to disease, but I'm doing all these other good things. I'm treating myself and I'm at the birthday party. So I'll have a slice of cake. Right. Yeah. But I still need to understand it's not a good idea. Somebody would call that food shaming. 
Oh, Someone's going to say, you're yeah. food shaming. Like, what the hell does that mean? So my fiance and I, we're both on the same page with all this stuff, which yeah. is awesome. And yeah, she is in schooling, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes these kind of things come up and it's like, oh, you don't, maybe they, you know, prescribe, maybe you don't want to do that to a client and everything, to a patient, whatever. Mm. But in our mind, it's doing harm. Absolutely. Because if I keep letting a patient, they're not doing their PT, for in her instances, right? PT exercises, whatever. And they're eating like trash. And they're like, man, my knee's just not getting better. Well, I mean, let's just be real here. Yeah, there's other variables besides the actual exactly. physical joint, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. Um, when, when you look at the evolution of this, how does your business scale? And what does it look like in five years from now? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think... Quality over quantity, I keep saying it. It makes it tougher, though, because then it's harder to expand. Mm. But I think the scaling and the getting bigger, growing at a good rate so we can make sure we're still squared away, comes from my team. So guys like Nick that you met, he's pretty much, he's one of our two super squared away medical guys. Yeah. What's awesome about him, I don't know if he told you, but he's an OR nurse down oh, at St. George. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So he's a full-time nurse in the OR down at St. George, and wow. he's a National Guard medic. Wow. Yeah, so he's got the whole... That's awesome, man. He's got the civilian side and the military side. Yeah. And all that. And we're getting him spun up, t training him, taking him to courses like yours. Yeah. Stuff like that to make sure he's getting better and better and better. That's awesome. Yeah, so I think we've got about five or six guys that are kind of our core group. Local local dudes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. that's good. And a couple of buddies that have flown in to help out. One of my buddies from 275 for that big event we do up in the canyon I told you about. He yeah. comes out for that. Yeah. Yeah, because he is just one of those guys that he knows smelling the tactics. That's that's awesome, man. Yep. See, for some reason, he just keeps that stuff in his mind. Yeah. 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 That's his. That's his passion. And I'm more of the nice guy. Yeah. And he can kind of come down on people, not in a mean way. Yeah. But he's kind of the bad cop. Yeah. You need that. Yeah. I, I I was just talking about this recently on a on a range, and um, we were talking about um, instructor development. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think their skill sets alone are what makes them a more competent or more, I would say, popular instructor. And that's not the case, right? Mm -hmm. The case is you have to have a balance of uh, being able to see mistakes before they happen, especially when it comes to safety mm -hmm. and liability, um, but be able to manage personalities. It's easy to manage a platoon of rangers when you have the platoon sergeant <laughs> in your hip pocket and you're just teaching these guys because you have one way of communicate with them direct and concise. Mm -hmm. But when you're, when you're managing civilians, for an example, let's say a civilians shooting a gun and they make a mistake and a, a double feeds a good example. If the person doesn't have a technical script for an immediate action to a double feed, and we haven't been able to get into it because of the block of instruction, or even if you did, they don't, they don't remember it. Mm -hmm. They start fumbling with the gun. Well, that right there leads to a series of cascading mistakes that can lead to a catastrophe, an AD, an ND, whatever it is. So as they're working through the problem, if you said to them, I want you to unscrew yourself, like stop, and you, even in a scream, a different tone that's registered in that middle ear, mm -hmm. their stress, which is increasing exponentially, measure it through heart rate, measure it through vagal tone, whatever you want, their rate of respiration, their heart rate's going through the roof they will get more stressed and induced stress creates more technical deficiency. Mm -hmm. But if you 
understand. And in some people, if it's a ranger and you're like, un-F yourself, they're like, Roger that. And then they they go into the script, right? Yeah. If they don't have a script at all and the technique is, hey, man, I just want you, hey, stop. Stop what you're doing because you're just, you're making a, a series of mistakes. Let me navigate this with you because this is a learning experience. Like, stop. I want you to stop. Okay. And now they're, they're listening to your instruction. I want you to, I want you to lock the slide to the rear. I want you to mm-hmm. drop the source of feed. I want you to dump the rounds out. I want you to reinsert the mag, push, pull, and then drop the slide. You walk them through that, and they're like, oh, man, whoa. Like, I got through that. And you touch their back. You don't just say, good job. You actually physically touch their back, mm-hmm. and they feel that passion and that connection that, look at me. You did a good job. When that connection's made, that mistake often is never made again. And then you build their confidence on a range where they were cascading to a tipping point, and now you're taking them off the ledge, mm-hmm. right? If you think about psychology, neurology, and all the things that we've done and have educated ourselves with, most courses of instruction will focus on one path. There is one way to do this. Mm-hmm. When you have 24 different personalities from 24 different walks of life, it is the most interesting and sometimes often the most difficult thing to navigate as a civilian instructor. But it's amazing, right? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a beautiful world that whole world it, uh, lives in. Do you think this is a family business? You trying to roll the wife up in this? Oh, yeah. So this is going to be your family business. Oh, for sure. For and sure. Why tactical cowboy? Yep. So a few reasons. Um, my grandfather, again, was a huge influence on my life. And he got me into all things Western. He was a cowboy guy. I love it. So he got me into that at a young age. And that was one reason, right? Yeah. My fiance is actually the first one who came up with it because we were trying to think of what could we call this? Yeah. We didn't want it to be intimidating Mm. because it's not, that's not what we do. We're completely open to everybody, mentorship. Um, There's not one way to do it. Like you just said, we always say that stuff like that. So we wanted it to be not intimidating but also memorable right mm. and we you know moved out here to utah and you know cowboys like the kind of way things where people do things so yeah she brought it up she's like what about tactical cowboy and i'm like oh man is that too cheesy <laughs> <laughs> it's not man i love yeah, it yeah 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 so um we decided on it and then just roll with it so i, I like i like it because one i like it because it's different but two if you are into cowboy culture because it's certainly, I mean, it's a culture, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lifestyle. Um, when you pr- when you bring people closer to a cowboy, like I, I, there's a there's a whole bunch of divisiveness around everything, including being a cowboy. Because it's like, oh, you're not a real cowboy, and um, I I don't like cowboy and cowboying. Period is one of the hardest jobs on the mm-hmm. planet Earth. So there's something that comes with that, right? A, a an air of respect, mm-hmm. but also an air of being a cowboy, like of being wild, you know, yep. and free. So I think it's it's cool because just like to country, to family, to cowboying, it brings you closer to everything that's good, yep. right? It doesn't make you further away from it. Uh, you know, crush, kill, gunfighter, whatever, you know, name, <laughs> name the verb. Oh, yeah. Um, th- that potentially could lead you astray. Exactly. And I think I think the cowboy just doesn't talk about a specific skill set, but it talks about a lifestyle. Yes. And I want to live a country lifestyle, mm-hmm. which I do obviously here, um, even in a, in a town of sixteen thousand on an a, you know, a acre and a half parcel. We're doing our best out here to live a country lifestyle because it brings us closer to each other, yep. to family, to preparedness, to all the good things. Um, yeah, I think exactly what you said about kind of the 
what you perceive, it'd be like a cowboy culture type thing yeah. or old Western American type culture. Yeah. That's something we talk about at the courses is, you know, you're part of the family now. And as part of the family, one, you need to, with the skills, medical, farms, whatever, we want you to act like a professional. So then when you show other people, they're like, mm. oh, okay, this isn't scary. People with firearms and stuff are professional. They're not just shooting trash on the side of the road, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And then, yeah, that old Western kind of, we're a family, we're in this together. That kind of stuff is mm. also part of the name. I love it, man. I mm. love it. And I love, I love what you guys are doing. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you offline and doing everything we can to support you guys. And, you know, I, when I have younger guys that are building culture and building what you're building, I always want you to know the mistakes that I've made mm -hmm. so you don't make them. You know, I always want, like, there's no catches. Um, you know, you're one of a few dudes who have reached out to me and I, I mentor a couple companies. But like, I never want you to make the mistakes that I've made, mm -hmm. and um, and I certainly have made a lot. Yeah. Um, but if you could avoid those, you'll be better off for it. And uh, I'll do whatever I can to help you, man. Oh yeah, I got a list of notes actually of stuff to ask Let's, you. We'll we'll run through it over coffee. Awesome. And uh, knock it out. Uh, where can people find you and social media and your website? Where's that at? Yes. So the website is www.thetacticalcowboy.com. Okay. So pretty easy to remember. Yep. I made the website myself completely. <laughs> so I think it's squared away. I did too. My first website, oh, I did cool. three very years cool. was running that way. When you see the website, yeah, I want you to be proud of me, hopefully. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I'll check it out right now. Just Tons, so tons of work. Yeah. Tons of work there. Because I didn't know anything <laughs> yeah. at the beginning. Um, and then social media, just Tactical Cowboy or Tactical Cowboy 01. Tactical Cowboy 01. Are you on YouTube at all? Yes, so that is Tactical Cowboy. Yeah. But then it's, it's. I think on YouTube now, it let you do the, yeah, the at yeah, you Tactical Cowboy the at. 01, yeah. which is the same as Instagram and Facebook. Okay, okay. So I'm pretty sure if you just did at Tactical Cowboy 01, it would lead Pop you to up. everything. Yeah. yeah, we'll put all the notes down below too as well. Mm -hmm. um, okay, man, I appreciate you coming on. Any last thoughts? I don't know. I just really appreciate this opportunity and I'm excited to learn more from you. Yeah, it's going to be great, man. I, I'm looking forward mm -hmm. to the collaboration and just doing cool stuff together with good people. That's, I think that's, if you could scale it down to that, I think you'll be successful and personally happy and business-wise happy. Yep. And I think it all comes down to being personally happy. Business is second. Family first. Family first. 100%, yeah. man. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thank, Thank you. you so much. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! John Titties, boy!